0: Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast neither vicious nor vexatious, but a veritable vicious of verbiage with the veneer of verisimilitude. I'm your host, Martin Kano, and each episode I talk to a guest who probably knows lots of words beginning with the letter V, just like me and Hugo Weaving, whose name has a V in it, but not at the beginning. My guest this episode is one of those people whose name you see regularly on lists of the funniest jokes of the Fringe. She's been a regular guest to the UK pun-off, she was a contributor on the Leicester Comedy Festival work All Puns Blazing, and in 2020 became the first female UK pun champion. It's stand-up comedian, Adele Cliff. Hello. Hi.
1: How's it going?
0: (laughs) Good. How have you been?
1: Good. Sorry, I'm always late for everything.
0: Don't worry, I was just saying to someone yesterday, it's amazing how comics and comic audiences always seem to never start anything on time. <laughs> yeah, we
1: don't like it. It's too much pressure. Five past eight is a much nicer time to start a gig.
0: <laughs> I wanted to sort of say, first of all, as one of the UK's leading one-liner comedians, how did you find that that niche? How did you think that this is the path I want to go down?
1: Um, well, I find it easy to uh, write jokes so that was a natural thing to do and uh, yeah i mean when i first my very very first gig i remember my Mm. set was something like it was some one-liners but then i tried to do a little weird surreal story which went pretty well for the first gig to be fair i did leave thinking i might be a genius um (laughs) which i think was just supportive people in an audience but when I was writing I was like oh it's much easier to write these little jokes and then you can write really silly ones on any random topic uh, yeah. and so I did that for a long time and now I still do that but I link them all together so they're not quite <laughs> separate one-liners anymore they're just lots of small jokes but yeah that's just the way that I wrote best uh, and so in yeah. attempting to be funny I thought well I should do the thing I think I can do well um it wasn't like a conscious there's not enough women doing one-liners let me solve that it was just me going oh you yeah, know I like writing these jokes so I did
0: well I mean there's a lot I want to come back to you on straight away on that but the first um I mean what first... was this
1: gig where they said you were good on your first try
0: <laughs> that was not it though no. <laughs> um you're the first female UK pun champion in
1: 2020 I oh, am yeah, yeah. And,
0: and what you said, there are not that many female. Well, I can't think of any other female uh, one liners. Well,
1: there's a, there's a, it's kind of a false uh, negative you get from that. Cause there's a okay. lot of women who write incredibly gag heavy sets that, right. if you wanted to force them apart, could be one liners. Yeah. But t- they tend to do them glued together. Um, so we're just thinking of people who can stand on stage and say separate jokes that have no relation to each other as yes. following sentences, right. which plenty of people could do, but they just don't do stylistically, but it doesn't mean they can't write great one-liners.
0: Yeah. And you said that writing one, one-liners was, um, was easier. Um, yeah. I would, I would have thought for my argument would be, well, I don't want to argue about it, but my, my,
1: my Let's get into it.
0: <laughs> my, my thought would be that, well, if you've got a, Tell a whole story in hmm. a single sentence or a few words. That must be harder in a sense because you're trying to come, you're trying to, you're doing your whole setup from punchline, but it's condensed, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, you, do, you have to work out the balance between helping the audience to make all the leaps that you made when you wrote the joke and also not assuming they're idiots and won't make those leaps, which sometimes in some jokes, some jokes just don't work if you don't know what the leaps are and you can't get them in. And other jokes, you write them and people will hear them and be like, yeah, no, I got it halfway through. You didn't need to have that second half of that sentence (laughs) to tell me how that was working. Um, But Yeah, the stories in the one line are pretty small, aren't they? They're they're little. (laughs) low-level stories like i went shopping and this happened it's not not quite (laughs) the tales of other people's (laughs) jokes
0: you're taking your your new show in the dark to edinburgh yeah and Mm. how do you get an hour out of a a group of one-liners without i mean you're saying you're stringing together but that's a long hour
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this one is not one not just one minus. It's, it's yeah. got lots of um, anecdotes and bits and stories and things in there. Yeah. Just when I write those things, I write them with a head of someone who panics when it's been five seconds without a punchline. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are like, it, there, there's, let me think, there's at least like four or five different longer stories or anecdotes or things in there yeah. um, that, that I'm using. But yeah, as I write them, I have to... Um, well, I put in lots of punchlines because that's what I like to do. And sometimes I have to pair them back slightly so that the story makes sense and I've not just been saying punchlines the whole way through. <laughs> um, but that's how I do it. I try and, and then if I'm doing in a set, I try and just yeah. sort of have I got three uh, one liners about a, the same topic? I kind of put them in whatever the logical order seems to be. So it,
0: yeah.
1: I When I was doing, one-liners that were completely random and unrelated I found yeah. that suddenly gigs went better when I made it seem like I was doing it like a, a story or like an anecdote or like it was all sort of just a thought off the top of my head so if I yeah. gave it a natural flow of like here's all the jokes about my family here's all the jokes about relationships here's all the jokes about I don't know school or something like that yeah. then it felt more like I think audiences want to feel like you might just be a really clever guy up on stage just having some thoughts. <laughs> uh, and it's easier to think that if you do all the jokes that are roughly in the same ballpark together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mine's kind of just stringing them all together in an order that logically could and I hope does make sense uh, yeah. with some stories that I've put in there as well.
0: So <laughs> so the stories you you add them after... You're, you're not joining the stories with jokes, you're joining the jokes together with a, a story.
1: Uh, no, I think i are probably joining the stories with jokes. It, like in this show, the, yeah. the point is it's all about whether it's good to know things or not, th- not, not know things. Hence mm-hmm. in the dark. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so it's like examples of times when I wish I'd known more or less and like linking them in as a kind of a, a flow towards a final point where i'm suddenly a genius. No, there's no final point. Just <laughs> i reach an hour and the show ends.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, i saw your show um undershare uh in oh, yeah. 2019. Fantastic show. Um Perfect. It was fine. It was okay. It was no. This one's better. I the reviewer, it was fantastic.
1: Okay, well, okay. I'll take it. I have produced my poster for this year, but it's not the back of the flyer yet. So let me put fantastic on that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> fantastic. And in that year, you were, you were rewarded with funny joke of the fringe. That's the fourth year in a row. And you've since agreed- yeah. again got it last year. Do you remember what that was?
1: Um, well, I was in the top 10 or 15,
0: yes. whatever
1: it is. It's a short I've never list, made the yeah. top one. It's yeah. a short list. I've always been on the short list, but never the shortest list of one. Uh, <laughs> The 2019 joke was pr- probably one of the weaker ones I've gotten there. I think it was, um, I accidentally booked myself onto an escapology course and finding it very hard to get out of, <laughs> which is, you know, linguistically yeah. pretty, but not like the biggest laugh of the show by any
0: means. Uh, I, yeah, I loved it. I still remember, that's the, one, that's the only one I remember, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, which yeah, is, got... is, I never remember the jokes, which is why I can go back and watch the show again. Oh, nice, <laughs> yeah. I just remember, oh, this was a great show. I remember I really enjoyed it. And they say, well, tell me what happened. I said, well, I don't remember.
1: That is kind of the, the worry sometimes with one-liners. I mean, really great one-liner comedians yeah. um, they get around that. But the idea is that people come in and have a great time and then you hope that if someone goes, what was the show about? They can tell them something. But with some yeah. people whose one-liners are all completely separate, yeah, like, what are they saying? <laughs> what was the show about? It was about a man who'd written... 200 jokes and <laughs> just told them
0: <laughs> excellent now when lockdown came in 2020 normally mm-hmm. at this point I would ask everyone how they fared what they did but I kind of know what you did because I tended to see you quite a lot on zoom I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no I mean that's a good thing it's, uh, on uh, you did uh, UK pun off which is still going now and uh, yeah. what's in the box a few times with uh frizz frizzle how did you find doing Zoom and doing those kinds of shows?
1: Um, they're quite fun. they you have to you have to know they're not like a live comedy gig, which is obvious, but yeah. they're still comedy. They're just a different way of doing it. Like when you're in a room live, it's all about seeing what the audience are uh, like responding to and coming up with that and being able to bounce off them and like add little ad libs to your jokes or speak to someone and none of that works on zoom because even if you've got people's faces like we are now there's still a tiny time delay and it feels like you're putting big pauses in to respond to people's yeah um what people are doing so you kind of have to do it more like you imagine you're on tv like you've written the script and you're being as funny and spontaneous as you can and trying to respond to other people who are involved in the performance so that whichever bit people see hopefully they see a bit that was entertaining
0: yeah
1: I think um yeah that's mostly also the weird thing is you're normally sitting down which is (laughs) yeah I don't know why it's uh it feels funnier to be standing up um but you can't (laughs) do that in you can't do that in your own bedroom because then it looks even more mad um I did some previews on Zoom. I've done like several work in progress and previews for quite like early on and then quite recently actually. Mm. And only more recently have I just gotten over the fact that I'm not holding a microphone. Like, <laughs> 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 which is fine. It just means that it like you keep, you find yourself gesturing so much with your hands, which is yeah it works okay but it's not how you would do it on stage and if anything sometimes because of the limits of a, a zoom camera makes you look a bit like you don't like my hands aren't actually adding anything to the comedy but <laughs> they, they want to be involved and if they're on stage they'd feel involved but sitting off camera they don't so they want to get part, be a part of
0: it <laughs> i love that idea so tell me about um Second city, then you did training in Chicago relatively yeah, recently. I
1: did. It was it was great. I went to my sister was studying abroad uh in the states in 2016, I want to say that's mm-hmm. yeah, it was 2016. So I was planning to try and visit her and I was like, Well, I how do I financially justify this trip? And then, <laughs> oh, I could go and do some comedy stuff, and then both sides are justifying each other, and then I can stay as long as I'm allowed to Mm -hmm. and uh, do some funny stuff. So I went and did Second City courses and Mm -hmm. did uh, improv and sketch writing. And I did a stand-up course there, which was clearly aimed at people who were much newer. It was interesting because I'd never done a stand-up course here.
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. I was
1: interested in what they would teach on a stand-up comedy course,
0: but yeah, Yeah. that was
1: probably the least useful one, but the other two were great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you feel like the was the was the approach that they were teaching uniquely american or was it uh, did, was there they're a very, lot that you could get out of,
1: they're very British? american
0: they're
1: like yeah they're quite it was really great and really enjoyable but mm. i couldn't help thinking that the class would have worked a lot less well if it was a class of me's, like it needed all the american <laughs> things to make it work well like i had a lovely time doing all the improv and stuff but i was like if it was just me and my friends here <laughs> we would have been standing around being like, why are we so happy about all this stuff? <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was really uh, nice. And yeah, I mean, I, I really like and honestly prefer the way Americans write comedy. The idea of a writer's room makes a lot more sense than relying upon a single genius to come up with a whole series or multiple series of a sitcom.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but so, yeah, that's the sketch writing and stuff was fun and I mean doing improv is kind of like collaboratively writing and sort of on the fly and hoping for the best yeah, uh, yeah it was nice it was really good
0: but you've and, written uh, you've written for things like news quiz as well so yeah, yeah.
1: I've done some news quiz stuff and, and they're nice they're sort of like a writer's room but compared with how I think writer's rooms work elsewhere they're still quite quiet like you go in yeah there's maybe six of you in the writer's room, and you're going through whatever the main big stories of that week are and just writing for news quiz at least you tend to just write one-liners about all of them that could be used at the beginning because like Miles or whoever the presenter is when you're writing for it does a bunch of jokes at the beginning and that's what you're writing and then they ask the questions and everyone's the comedians have brought their own funny things to say about the news so you're really just writing those one-liners so often you sit in this room quietly with the other people who are also writing, all writing in one collaborative Google Doc. So you can't see what other people are doing, but you're not turning to your neighbour and being like, what about this? It tends to be everyone writes their own bits and then see which best ones come out. And then sometimes people sort of, when the producers and people come in to have a look at what you've got, that's the point where sometimes people chip in to help each other out. But yeah, it's still quite... For a writer's room, it's quite solo, that yeah.
0: one. <laughs> that's interesting, because uh, my imagination is everyone's sort of arguing about, no, you should use this word and you should use that word.
1: Yeah, that's what I want from writer's room. So <laughs> I think that's more like how it is, like elsewhere, or at least in. Uh, from chatting to people who've done ones in the States and stuff. It tends to be not necessarily the whole room, but like, you know, you, you pitch all your sketches or something on SNL, and then you tend to go away with one other person and write it together so yeah. then it's just you and a little group but doing that where you're saying is this dialogue funny instead of going away and writing it on your own and coming in and presenting it like a school project yeah <laughs> well,
0: but doing a stand-up is a solo career so you're saying that you're more interested yeah. in the collaborative side of things
1: it's not just a solo career i know everyone wants to <laughs> look like they're the cleverest person in the world but like like writing Edinburgh shows, yeah, lots, lots of good stand-ups have a director. But uh-huh. Most of them do because you, you kind of want someone else who knows the show as well as, as you and is also invested in it being good, who you can ask annoying questions to because if you're writing an hour long show and there's some point at 35 minutes where you've got a silly joke, uh, like I've got a current one in my show about Pavlov's dog, which I think is great, but I don't know if I can keep in. You kind of need someone who knows the show well enough that you can go, I've tried this version of the joke. It sort mm-hmm. of works. Should I try this? Should I take it out? And if you're just going to try and ask friends that and make them listen to the whole show, it's not the same. So yeah. it's it's solo in the sense that a lot of the individual writing happens separately, but a lot of the tweaking and making it better can be collaborative. Ooh. I, I mean, I've written a lot of the best jokes so I've written just me on my own, but also equally like my last show and this show mm-hmm. was working with, um, oh, actually on my first show, I had a different director for my first show. And then these two shows, mm-hmm. I've got a director and a lot of people doing it. They're not coming in to write the show for you. They're coming in to like guide yeah. you so it makes sense. Uh, and that you get better shows out of that. I think like some people are very good at writing on their own, but I would wager most good shows you see in Edinburgh have a director and Mm -hmm. someone else you know a couple of other people who have had some input whether it's you know seeing a preview and doing some notes or whether it's just seeing someone do some new material and giving them some ideas and stuff so i don't think anyone writes an entire hour without without speaking to anyone else
0: (laughs) (laughs) so do you put would you put more weight do you think on the word of a director or a, you know, a professional than you do on an audience reaction because audiences can be can vary wildly, can't they? One joke might storm one night and fail, fall flat the next night. Yes,
1: yeah, so audience reaction with a in a room. Like if I'm doing a preview, I I audio record them and mm. then. Yeah. I try and listen back to most of them, bit. it is the worst thing ever because it's just you speaking for an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> awful to listen back to, but I try and listen back to, especially if there's a bit that I tried that was different at, or if I thought they reacted weirdly to a section, I try and listen to that and work out what the laughs were at. Yeah, I would still, they're both valuable in a different way. Like a director who knows your show is really valuable because they might have a good insight on why an audience reacted differently to a bit because they've seen it several times or at least heard it several times and heard you go through it and discuss it.
0: Yeah. But
1: an audience within a room giving you a natural reaction is exactly what you want to tell you whether or not it's actually funny or whether or not you're actually going to get a laugh on the day. So I like that. That's yeah. great. I don't. I have had a few times, which I know people always do well-meaning, but never is quite as good where someone after the gig... Who is definitely just just an audience member who's come, who's laughed at the show, who's been great, will yeah. then be like, "Hey, I've got some, I've got some feedback for you." And
0: yeah.
1: I've had sometimes I've had people like pull out a notepad and I've been like, "Oh no, no, thank you." <laughs> I've, I recorded that. I've got your I've got your feedback already. When you laughed, that was feedback, and when you didn't laugh, that was also feedback. I've got all of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're both useful. I would yeah it's just about people knowing the show well and uh, a director knows the show well because they've seen it lots of times and heard yeah. it and the audience knows the show well because by the end they've seen a whole show and that's the highest level an audience can know the show unless they're going to come to all your previews in which case Why are they coming to all your previews? (laughs) Are you paying them?
0: (laughs) Yeah, why would anyone want to go back again and again and again? I've been
1: to see things again and again and again.
0: Yeah, I do it all the time.
1: Especially (laughs) films. I go to the cinema again and again to see the same film, but... within previews where you're adjusting things and stuff and normally going all over the country. It would be weird yeah. if you did a preview in Bristol and then a preview in Glasgow and the same audience members were there.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I saw your whip in uh, Brighton and in Leicester. and um,
1: Which Brighton? Last Brighton or...?
0: Uh, last one.
1: 2021 Brighton?
0: No, the, 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 this one.
1: Oh, OK, cool. You and three other people, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and that um, that little... Hospital room in, in Leicester as well.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's quite a nice room, weirdly, but it did feel like I should have been giving a conference. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think mean, there was a whiteboard in the room, so if you wanted to, you know, got the props.
1: It's definitely a massive TV that really looks like... It's very hard to be on stage with a massive TV when you're not going to use it and not think how the audience think soon they're going to put something up on the telly. <laughs> They're building to the point where they put the finale on the television.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just going back to when you were talking about uh, you did uh, some comedy in Chicago. Mm. So as well as performing in the US, you've done Australia as well.
1: I did a bit of Australia and then I had to leave because there was a plague.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) given the smattering that you did in Australia and and the US, Mm. how do you find that uh, culturally your comedies received uh, differently, if at all?
1: I like performing internationally. I like international audiences as a sort of fun. I feel like in performing in the same few places in the UK, you can get a bit stuck. Whereas if you... All you really need to change internationally is some references. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to qualify things a bit differently. And sometimes you sort of don't. Like sometimes, I don't know, I've got bits where... I don't think I use particularly American, Australian language, but a lot of people for some reason think I'm Australian, so clearly I must use some Australian (laughs) language without knowing. Um, But I I think I use some Americanisms anyway and some other bits and bobs. And like when you're on stage, there's certain bits that you explain for for funniness. There's certain bits you explain just to subtly indicate that they're going to be important later. And sometimes that changes in different places. Um, But in general... I like performing internationally. They're normally, I, the novelty of someone not from there, it often makes them interested in what you have to say. <laughs> and yeah, just had a nice time doing those things. I hope I'll do them again at some point.
0: Yeah. When did you kind of realize that comedy was your jam? How did you know that it was going to be a professional career for you?
1: Um, well, so when I was at university is when I did like my first ever few gigs. Right. Um, and I also did a lot of student radio, like four shows a week or something like that, to pretty much no audience members, I think, but uh, <laughs> enjoyably. Uh, and and so when I was doing all of that, I did a science degree, but I started that degree knowing I didn't want to be a scientist, just sort of going, well, this will be easy. I'm quite good at this. Um <laughs> One idiot. That's a lot of money to waste on. This might be an easy degree. Uh, <laughs> so I was doing the whole time. I was doing it with the view that I was, wasn't going to use my degree. I was trying to find something else to do. And I was re- a big comedy fan before that. Uh, and then I joined like the Comedy Society at Warwick, which is where I went, which one I joined was about eight men who sat around and talked about how good they were at comedy, who I think between them had done about 10 gigs. Um, <laughs> So me, and I joined. A few of my friends joined, and in the years that we were there, we really expanded it and made people perform more. And like the uh, the year I left, me and a, uh, a couple of friends did a Edinburgh Fringe run. Mm. Um, but I think it was yeah, doing that and doing the uh, radio stuff and things like that. I think I just decided I'd quite like to work in comedy in some way so like the first actual job job I got was uh, I was very lucky I got work experience with the BBC right after I like before I'd actually finished my degree I sort of did my final exams went and did it came back and did another exam or something uh four weeks unpaid I say so not that not that (laughs) um I I couldn't have done it if I wasn't staying on my cousin's houseboat with them but it was doing that was quite nice and at that minute I got to watch people making comedy shows uh and that also made me think yeah i want to be those people um which was nice and i think i was just just arrogant enough to think no i'm funny this will (laughs) work i've been trying to prove that point ever since were there people that uh, sort of
0: Helped you choose that path by being inspiring? Did you have characters or or individuals in your life or people you saw on the t v or whatever who who sort of led the way and sort of said yeah this is this is for me
1: um, Yeah, probably a bit. I mean, like there was lots of comedy I used to watch at that at that time, and I yeah. used to go to uh, quite a few live gigs, like the bigger tours and stuff and and then people who came to the Warwick Arts Center, which is on the Warwick University campus, so mm-hmm. I used to see a lot of tour shows there. And so all of them and just watching them be funny and being like, that looks great. And then one of my friends uh, who was uh, the president of the Comedy Society after her first year, uh, we used to write uh, double act stuff together. We used to be like do sketches and uh, videos on YouTube and we used to do some live stuff. And uh, Mm -hmm. she was just, I mean, she still is. I don't know. I'm talking about her in the past tense. She just absolutely... loves comedy she knows everything about every comedy thing so i i thought i was a fan of comedy and then i met her and i went oh no i'm i'm just a casual uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but so she would be like have you ever seen the doug anthony all-stars and i'd be like no and then she'd show me stuff like that so um yeah and also is just very funny was very funny to write with so she yeah. certainly made me think yeah this would be great like we we she was one of the other people who did that Edinburgh first Edinburgh show that was a sketch show together and we just went up did this sketch show that we didn't really know how to advertise but it was on (laughs) like lunchtime-ish so we were kind of free after lunchtime because if you go up to the Edinburgh Fringe Mm. as a student with no connections we'd done some stand-up but all kind of near us so we didn't really have any other gigs that we were doing because we didn't know anyone so we would just go do our show whilst wearing a tabard of flyers to try and sell it to people <laughs> and then after about 2pm we were free and we'd just go and see all of the other comedians at the Edinburgh Festival which is a really nice thing to do Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, people going up should always make an effort to do that especially if they're new I think people sometimes trip into the the correct assumption that you can get loads of gigs in Edinburgh which you absolutely can mm. but you also can for much cheaper see loads of really good comedians who you can learn a lot off of which you might learn more than doing five minutes in a nightclub yeah I have done many five minute sets in nightclubs in Edinburgh so I know that's true
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you're still happy then you're not so jaded by being inside the industry that you can go and see live comedy as an entertainment still for yourself um
1: I I do prefer seeing people who are one step removed I like going to see international acts or people who I don't know well, like I'll see friends. I'm always up for seeing friends mm-hmm. and supporting them. And then there's like a, an intermediary level of acquaintances where I'm like, I'm kind of interested in their show, but I'll only go and see it if there's something different or odd or like, or people are saying it's brilliant. And yeah. then people who are further away. So those, those people in the middle, hard luck. If If we're an acquaintance, <laughs> I'm probably not coming to your show. <laughs> Cause I like to get a bit lost in it. And if, if yeah. I'm seeing a friend, I can, I'm just there to be supportive and enjoy their show because we're friends outside of our connection in comedy. And then if I'm seeing someone else who I don't know personally, great. I don't have to think about whether they might spot me in the crowd and whether or not I'm laughing at that particular joke. I can just enjoy the show. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I try and do that. I'm going to try and do that in Edinburgh this year. Sometimes I've done years where I've only seen like maybe eight or ten shows the whole time I've been up there that weren't ones I was doing which is I think not enough but can get expensive and stuff so I'm going to try this year to just go and see stuff yeah that's my plan
0: fantastic I've got about 60 shows to see in a week so I'm going to be very oh, busy right. <laughs> very very Are busy you
1: seeing mine? huge pressure
0: oh yeah oh good yeah, yeah oh yeah well Yeah, you're on the list don't worry great right. uh,
1: it'll be better than Leicester or Brighton because I will have learned it <laughs> Also I've definitely written some new jokes since then. So <laughs>
0: I'll I'll bring my notepad and I'll give you feedback at you.
1: <laughs> Please do. Please do what has happened where I'll do um, yeah, do the whole show and then you just come up and open a notepad and go, Here's some thoughts without me even saying okay to them and then you just
0: Yeah, this is where I, this is where I think you were going, Rob let me explain yeah oh, and
1: also like here's an alternate punchline that does not work as well as the one you used <laughs> you can have that like, no, i don't think i want to have that thank you i'm glad i'm very I, I love that people get really involved in it and stuff but that's not quite the way i want them to <laughs>
0: <laughs> well let's talk about feedback then so maybe not oh, in that respect yeah. but uh, how do you respond to feedback do you give a lot of credence to reviews in the or the list or what have you
1: uh i try not to read them yeah i don't they're not for they're not for comedians mm. we're not students doing a test we're performers they're they're meant to be to tell audiences if they'll like us they're not meant to be to tell us mm. where we went wrong the people writing them are almost always writing them from the perspective of being an expert audience member not an expert comedian yeah So they're like, they've seen loads of shows. They're a great audience member. They know what shows they've enjoyed and not enjoyed. So they can tell an audience whether they'll enjoy a show in their opinion, but they can't tell a comedian how to fix a show. Uh, So I don't think, I don't think they're for me. That doesn't mean I haven't seen them. I've I've seen loads of reviews. I just try not to read them because even the nicest of reviews... It's when you're so close and attached to a show, you only need one half sentence where it's like, "No, this bit wasn't as good." What for you to be like, "Well, it turns out the whole show's terrible. I guess I'll bin that and do nothing tomorrow." Um, <laughs> but yeah, I try not to read them. I'm going to try not to read them this year. Sometimes you just kind of have to. Like I've been when I've been between agents and things, you kind of you have to do it yourself because if you're going to put them on posters or flyers or something, yeah. you need to at least find a useful quote. But, yeah, I try not to. I have some friends who will willingly read them for me and then just tell me what I need to know, (laughs) which is all I want. I just need to know, like, you know, is there a quote I need to be putting on a poster? If not, great. Have they said something terrible that my family will find? No, okay, I can leave it. Uh, And that's all I really want to know from a review, which I know other people read them and find them quite useful, but clearly I'm too sensitive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... When you're doing your work in progress and you're building up to the show, Mm. obviously you make changes as time goes on. Is there any lessons or particular philosophies that you've learned where you sort of say, well, I'm never going to do this because that won't work or, you know, what little little things that stick in your mind and you go, this is a lesson that I can carry with me from show to show or...
1: Uh, maybe a bit so this is like my third hour long show mm-hmm. that I've done I did a 40 and I did what well, I did this hour as a work in progress last year but that was kind of a weird mini fringe yeah um so I, I know how to write an hour of comedy now I've done it several times yeah. and I think yeah the, the probably the most useful thing I've done is um realize that not everything can be saved like you can have a very good bit of material that you really like that just doesn't work in the show and forcing it in there even if it gets some laughs can really derail everything else yeah so sometimes you've just got to know when to kill it or at least just demote it to doing it at spots instead yeah um uh which is it's, it's quite tricky especially if you know especially for first fringes like first hours and stuff like that or even your second when you're newer and you've got less material if you write a bit that's five seven minutes and you think oh my god this is really funny it's killing that much material gives you a huge job to replace it yeah. so it's uh yeah hard work but like for this show it's been nice uh, oh i might have it here actually this is well not the most recent version but this is a version of my show on like 40 different postcards <laughs> um, and I, I wrote it in try not to give you spoilers and wrote it in like sections where there's like that's like four jokes that go together and that's like a little section. And then but that means that um, These ones I'm holding here. I have all been so I, they're just ones that I could take out and that was like the whole section removed. And I think there's a few more bits. I'm gonna do that too. And it's good. I think, it, yeah, I I worried a bit too much um with my first show and, and maybe with my second show but certainly with the first one with just trying to i got it to an hour long and then i just thought i've just got to polish this and keep polishing it and make it better and better and better yeah and actually sometimes the best way to make it better is to take a bit out instead of just repeatedly trying to massage the words to make them funnier right um so yeah and doing lots of uh new material gigs even if they're ones one of my favorite new material gigs is uh one that's run by Richard Wright called uh, Pegasus Comedy, Mm -hmm. which is in Kentish Town in London. And there's never any audience members. In fact, they actively ruin it if they turn up. (laughs) Um, It's it's always only comedians. Whenever there's an audience, we're all freaked out. How did they find out our gig was happening? Um, (laughs) But ones like that are nice because that's a nice one where everyone's there, has got a fair amount of experience often they've done several edinburgh's mm. and you people are literally just being like oh, i thought of this half an hour ago and reading it from a thing yeah and then everyone's kind of bouncing ideas off each other and that's really nice because obviously you get a different laugh from a comedian than you do an audience member but it's interesting to see what the differences are and that can kind of tell you whether a piece has legs or not
0: yeah
1: which is good i don't know if i've actually answered your question i'm just waffling
0: honestly i don't remember what it was that's fine. It was
1: something about how, how to write a show, and all I've said is...
0: Lessons, philosophies.
1: Cut things, cut stuff. That's my lesson. There you go. <laughs> cut stuff, cut. even if it's funny, if
0: it doesn't the <laughs> <self> show <laughs> So let's talk about, then, culture within the industry. Now, we mm-hmm. mentioned very early on um, about you being the first female UK pun champion. Do you think that comedy is now more accessible to non straight white men like me is it more inclusive across the board i
1: would think so yeah it's, it's it's not quite there yeah you know there's more that could be better but it's certainly a lot more accessible and it's certainly now maybe i'm within the industry so i notice it more but it certainly now feels noteworthy when you see a lineup that's lacking in a diversity of voices yeah you'd see that and you think oh that's good they're all great comedians, but that's going to be a dull night for those people who are seeing the same person four times. Um, <laughs> not the same person. All straight white men are different straight white men. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's uh, better, and there's certainly a lot more to choose from, particularly, like, I think particularly at the fringe and stuff, there's a huge number of uh, non-male acts who are really good now um and who wrote really great one-hour shows i think Mm -hmm. if you wanted to without even trying you could fill a three-day four-day trip to the fringe without ever seeing a man which could be ideal Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's also some very funny men Um, but yeah it's getting close to that i think maybe the last hurdle is the pressure on people if they're representing a smaller group to be that whole group yeah like, you know, if you've got a, so I, I'm fairly well represented as a white woman in comedy. So I'm, off, I'm often the only woman on a bill, but I'm certainly not the only female comedian they've seen who looks like me. So I don't have to be every woman, um, which I can't. <laughs> That's too much pressure. Um, <laughs> but I think sometimes people who are less re- represented from smaller groups can feel the pressure to mm. represent that whole group. And I think really you just want people to be going on stage and representing only themselves and being as funny as they think they can be. Yeah. So the the minute we cross over into people not feeling like they have to explain their existence when they go on stage within the first three minutes.
0: Yeah.
1: And just get, getting straight into the jokes, that'll be a, a good closer to the right point leap. But we're getting there. Yeah. There's lots of yeah. I don't think it's quite so actively off putting <laughs> to people. Yeah. Now,
0: so let me ask you about um, your upcoming podcast, Three Parts Human.
1: Oh, yeah. How do you know all this shit? Um... I have
0: no job. <laughs> this is what I do.
1: Okay, well, there you go. <laughs>
0: congratulations. <laughs> yes, what do you want to know? Just, what's the, what's the, who's involved? What's the premise? Tell me what it's all about.
1: It's uh, me, Will Mars, and Stephen Carlin. And the uh, premise is that we are, um, The idea that you know all people or at least the people within that podcast uh, are not yet complete like we're working progresses so we're discussing um opinions we have on different things and how they were formed and whether we should change those opinions um and it's not really like current affairsy it's more like we we've done discussions on like AI and things like that so things that are interesting and newsworthy but not a specific current topic yeah. in the news uh, and it's uh, yeah it's just coming in and going this is my opinion on this thing and then mm-hmm. talking around to see whether we have similar opinions and also then what we think uh and the opposite opinion or having another uh, a different approach to it might do or whether it would have a positive impact on us or not yeah that a good explanation? I mean, you haven't heard the podcast, so you don't know, but uh, no, I think that's about only
0: right. extracts, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, and that's out in September, is that right?
1: September, yeah. Will's the one who knows all these things, but September, yeah. if I'm remembering rightly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then tell us about, I mean, you have touched on it anyway, but what, um, talk to me about In the Dark then, You're at the final uh, draft. <laughs> <laughs> the Edinburgh draft
1: the final draft has got several weeks put too much pressure on it. it's the 15th of July I could change the whole show right from <laughs> well
0: <absolutely. laughs> no it's
1: probably close to the final draft yeah um, so in the
0: dark where is it on and uh what time and what's happening and, and what's it all about
1: it's it's on uh Every day that's not the, I want to say, 15th of August. Yeah, I think it's the fringe. It's on the whole fringe.
0: For most people, it's the 15th. Well,
1: uh, yeah, I think uh, just the tonic, make everyone have the same day off so that the staff can also have a day off. Crazy. Um, uh, Yes, mine's uh, every day at the Fringe, and I'm at the Tron, which is the best venue, Uh, and (laughs) it's at 3.40 p.m., which is nice yeah. that's when everyone's seen about one show and they've had lunch so they're in a good mood uh and it's yeah it's an hour of me talking about whether it's good to know things or not know things basically i'm trying to think of some good examples without giving you all the examples in the show i want to go one of the uh, the earlier ones i mean you've seen versions so you'll know them uh one of the earliest examples i get is, is like i'm talking about whether a things I know I don't want to know. And um, the last time I was at the Tron, which was 2019, doing the last show that you saw there, mm-hmm. during one of my shows I had an, uh, an older gentleman like collapse halfway through the show. So I have a bit about not knowing whether he was okay and whether I want to know. Yeah. I mean, I want him to be okay. That's the <laughs> clarity. <laughs> but not knowing what happened there and stuff like that and whether yeah. we better off knowing or not knowing, things like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Is that a
1: good explanation you've seen two versions of this show
0: yeah yeah that's great i for some yeah. reason i knew in my head that you were going to use that example
1: <laughs> well that's the one that's earliest in the show and doesn't feel like spoilers because people have there were witnesses people were at that show they know it <laughs> happens
0: <laughs> brilliant and so where else can we find out about you what you're doing what's your your links
1: uh, I'm counterintuitively quite shit at social media so sure please do follow me on Twitter or Instagram and be <laughs> baffled by how little I use them um, but that is still probably the best way <laughs> I just don't like them I don't like the idea that strangers can just ruin my day so so I don't go on there yeah sorry <laughs> but <laughs> That's no, I don't think you've ever been a stranger that's ruined my day on there, but <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where I post about stuff and nothing else. It's just me retweeting when someone says I'm doing a gig and then leaving immediately, um, so that I don't have to see what people say. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me, and yeah, mostly the Edinburgh Fringe. I don't know what I'm doing in September, that's far away. Oh, I'm doing many podcasts. There, there you go. go, that's the thing you can find me on if you've enjoyed this voice which I hope will be played at the normal speed but we'll see you'll hear a higher or lower pitched version of it in three parts human
0: <laughs> um, marvellous um, okay so then can you please sum up for me what is comedy in a nutshell
1: and I see, I knew you were going to ask this, and I still haven't really decided.
0: Oh, I, I did tell um, you that I was going to ask
1: you. I know, no, it, I mean, it is literally the name of the podcast, and one of the Bloom first right things there in the and there. I still thought, maybe I'll just know when the question comes up, it'll just come to me. But I'm not that smart. Um, well, what do we want to sum up here? Am I summing up the comedy industry? Am I summing up what comedy is for me? Am I doing just, a more... Um,
0: yeah. Think about universe. based summary. Well, it can be. It can be. What does it mean to you personally? What does the word mean? How did you find the word in the dictionary, perhaps?
1: Um, uh, comedy is a performance <laughs> that is done by someone to try and elicit laughter. Okay. That's my dictionary de- definition. <laughs> but
0: uh, <laughs> maybe forget that I bit have, about well, the dictionary. <laughs> maybe expand. Yeah. On no. It. They more that was too literal.
1: Um, for me. Comedy is um, the only career I can ever imagine doing for any stretch of time longer than a few weeks. It's the only <laughs> one that is fun and engaging and interactive enough to make me want to stay there and keep doing it. That's what comedy is. It's nice. I like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's the quote for my poster. It's nice. I like it.
1: It's nice. I like it. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for doing this, it's been a proper treat.
1: No worries, thanks for having me.